if you know the Lord has never ever left you out there, you ought to give the Lord some praise this morning. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. You ought to give the Lord some praise. I love that. that that's the, the, I think about that. And the psalmist, he was explaining God's goodness. And he said, I have been young and now I am old. In other words, I have seen a span of time. And through that time, God has been consistent. God has been good. God has been faithful. God has been just. And, and I, I, I saw it when I was young. He said, and now I'm old. He said, and I have never encountered the righteous have to be in a position to beg for something or, or, or to not have bread. That word bread is talking about resources. It's talking about everything you need. He said, I've never seen the righteous have to beg for what they need. I, 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 I don't know about you, but it's a good God. It's a good God. When you can, leave, when you can put all of your trust on the fact that if you, and in the song they said, if you holy, and righteous. And, and the great thing that we've learned over the last three weeks, being holy and righteous ain't got nothing to do with us. So I don't have to try to keep some standards. I don't have to try to keep some rules. I don't have to check some box. In order to be holy and righteous means I just need to believe that he is holy and righteous. He said, I've never encountered a man who believed that God was holy and righteous and ended up without all the resources that he needs. He says, never have I seen it. I like what Chris said, never will I see it. Never in my life because my eyes is upon the Lord. It reminds me of Psalms 119. Because in Psalms 119 verse 96, he says, I know everything is perfect. He said, I have seen perfection on every level. He says, but what I know is that through time, that span of time, even perfection will fail. He said, but one thing I have saw that has never failed is your word. He said, in fact, your word is exceedingly broad. He said, it goes beyond time. He says, in fact, your word, in verse 98, says, makes me wiser every day. So every time I interact with God, I come closer and closer to being sure I ain't never going to see it. I'm not ever going to see it because God has been faithful and God has been just in every area of my life. And I have never seen his seed. Anybody in here belong to God? He said, I've never seen his seed forsaken. I've never seen his seed beg for bread. In fact, you start to read your Bible, you find out there were times they were in need and God said, just go fishing. He said, the first fish that you get, just open his mouth, get whatever you need and pay whatever you need. I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed beg for bread. If you're the righteous, you ought to give God some praise this morning. Come on, you ought to give God some praise this morning. You ought to bless the name of the Lord, amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, put your hands together for our praise. They did such an awesome job, as they always do. You guys may be seated. God bless you. God bless you. You may be seated. Listen, I want you to grab your Bible. I want you to grab your iPad, your phone, whatever you have to make your confessions with. And we're going to make this confession this morning. Then we're going to get right into our teaching. I want to spend a few moments recapping what we've talked about the last three weeks. And then I want to get into today's message. Last week, we talked about living in the balance of grace and faith 
and we talked about understanding God's redemption plan. And how many know that God does have a redemption plan for you? I say God does have a redemption plan for you. That redemption plan was not just a redemption plan to get you out of hell so that you could eventually go to heaven. God has a redemption plan to get everything that belongs to you right now while you're alive. Amen? Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, God has, God has a redemption plan. Make this confession with me. Say, this is my Bible. Say, I am what it says I am. Say, I can do what it says I can do. Say, today, I'm going to be taught the word of God. Say, and I boldly confess that right now, my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. And I will never be the same. Say, I declare I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Say, I boldly confess that I am a believer. Say, I am not a doubter. Say, I am a doer and not just a hearer. Say, and I declare that my life is the better after having heard the Word of faith. Tell your neighbor, say, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now give the Lord some praise this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you guys in the back if you'll turn me up just a little bit. You'll turn me up just a little bit. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about living in the balance of grace and faith. And I don't know about you, but the word that I am reading and studying and rereading and studying has been life-changing for me. It has caused me to look at uh, the scripture, the word of God, in totally different ways. It's caused me to see things that I have clearly missed in the past because I had a different uh, concept or viewpoint of what God was trying to say. I am, as your pastor, I'm challenging you to not just come to church and hear those words, but that you actually spend time during the week challenging yourself about what that word says. Because how many know you don't grow unless there's pain? And I don't necessarily mean like something gotta be hard, but there has to be exercise. There has to be a strengthening, a push, a pull, a resistance in order for you to grow. And if you just come to church and you just hear word, but you go back and you live six of your seven days the way you always lived it, it will take a very, very long time for that word to impact your life, amen? One of the reasons that they take um, young recruits and when they go to the military, they send them to something called boot camp. The reason they send them to boot camp is so that they can indoctrinate them with the way things work in the military. You need to indoctrinate yourself with how this word works, amen? You can't just haphazardly go through and, and, and hear something that makes you feel good, but then you don't take it and live it throughout the week, amen? And so I want to recap just real quick a couple of the things that we uh, have been discussing over the last few weeks. One of the first things we started talking about was that God's word clearly reveals the need for a balanced approach between grace and faith. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, you need to understand both grace and faith. Amen. We talked about the body of Christ right now is in a basically a divided state that we have these two camps and that those two camps are emphasizing on one hand grace, which is what God does, and the other camp is emphasizing faith, which is what we do. But first group preaches that everything is totally up to God, and the second group teaches that no matter what, you have this ability to somehow believe enough that you can cause God to move. Both of those separately are wrong. 
How do we know? Because the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 9, it says, For by grace are we saved, but it's through faith. And so if it's by grace and through faith, we need both. Amen? Tell your neighbor, say, we need both grace and faith to see manifestation. And you got to get that. You need them both to see manifestation. Because uh, what some people have been asking me is, am I going back on everything I've taught about faith? No, I'm not going back on everything I taught about faith. I've never believed that somehow God was a genie and that we could believe hard enough to make God move. I've also always believed that God was sovereign. But I also understood that in his sovereignty, he gave man free will, which simply means that God could make me serve him, but that wouldn't be love. He gives me the opportunity to serve him and then gives me the right to choose to either love him or not love him. So although I couldn't articulate that you needed both grace and faith the way I've articulated the last three weeks, I always understood neither one of those alone could be the answer. The Bible says, for by grace are we saved through faith and that not of ourselves, but it is a gift of God. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. Take your neighbor and say, neighbor, say works will only produce what you can do. And we don't want to live by only what we can produce, amen? And one of the things I was thinking about, and when we start talking about this, and I'm going to talk about it a little later, one of the things we cannot discount, I want you to hear me, we cannot discount the supernatural actions of God. Even though you got grace and faith, there are things that God will do that will absolutely just stun you, amen? And it's all right for us as believers to be believing for uh, supernatural encounters with God. Amen. There's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with having um, a, 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 an idea of how things could or may go. But you have to understand at the end of the day, God is still God. Amen. And that he still does supernatural things. Tell your neighbor, say neighbor. God, God still, still does supernatural things. So God has done so much for us by grace. One of the things we said is that as we learn to receive from God, we receive not only what he has done in our lives, but we begin to see it as a reality, not just a story. Because you can intellectualize who God is, but not fully comprehend who God is. It's the, it's the thing that we have to be careful about even when we read scripture. That we don't want to be able to read scripture be able to articulate what it means, but never see it active in our life. Amen? Because if it's not active in your life, then you don't have a full understanding of it. One of the things we talked about is that we must have this combination of both grace and faith. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 said this. We talked about this last week. It says, for the grace of God has brought salvation to all men. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, everything you need, God has already provided. Now, I wish I had three folks who believe that. Because what happens is, is that we say it, but in reality, what we're doing is we're still looking to see what God's going to do. And if you keep looking to see what God's going to do, then, in, then you are not fully convinced that God has done it. In fact, I want to say this, and I, I want you to understand it the way I say it, is that when you really believe that God has done the thing you're believing for, when it actually shows up, it's kind of anticlimactic. If you're believing God to do something and it manifests and you're blown away that it came to pass, you weren't really believing. Because nobody is more excited about the gift than the first time they receive it. Oh yeah, your spouse may love her ring, but she would never be as excited as the first time you presented it. 
You, you might love your car now, but you are never more excited than the first time you got it. You, 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 you may be excited that you're in college now, but nothing is like opening that envelope from the school that you prayed you would get into, seeing that envelope, and then understanding, oh, yep, I got it. Yep. The, the, the first time you see it is, the, is, is when you're the most excited. Well, the problem is we keep waiting to see something in the natural before we see it in the spirit. But if you see it in the spirit first, everything else is anticlimactic. Doesn't mean you're not happy. Doesn't mean you're not excited. I remember the story that Andrew Womack told. Some of you may not know him, but Andrew Womack is this great Bible teacher. He tells a story, some of you may know it, about his son Peter. His son Peter died, like died, like died. He, him and his wife were two hours away. They got a phone call that said that he was in an accident. He, he had died. It took them two and a half hours to get there. When they got there, he was still dead. Their son, their other son came. They got together and they prayed and believed. And within five hours, Peter set up. He set up in the morgue. He set up. And they asked Andrew why he wasn't more excited. He said because before he ever left to go to the hospital, God had already told him Peter would live. He said so he couldn't have been more excited then than he was when God first told him. Because he said when God told him, it settled the issue for him. Now, 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 I want to say to you, and I want, and I said to myself, do I have that kind of, do I have that kind of belief in God? Do I have the kind of belief that if I got a call that said one of my kids was dead, that I say, God, you said it's not their time. You show me everything they're supposed to do. You show me what their life is supposed to look like. Therefore, I don't receive that they're dead. And then to drive two hours and to be singing songs of praise the whole way. And I say to you that if you can't say without 100% that that's where you are, it's not an indictment. It just means we got to get in this word and we got to get our soul to line up with our spirit, man. Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, when God says something, says it's, already done. it's already done. And you and I are fortunate because we get to receive it by grace. We get to receive it by grace. We define grace as being God's unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor. You're, the righteousness of God that you have, you did not earn it. You weren't good enough to get it, and you ain't going to be good enough to keep it. It is a gift from God. And if you understand it's a gift from God, then you understand that God is not, and I hate that we use this term, but I'm going to use it just because you understand it. God is not an Indian giver. God is not someone who gives a gift and then reneges on the gift. God does not renege. If God gave you righteousness, it's yours, and he didn't give it to you based on your actions, so he don't take it based on your actions. Say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, this time, say it like you mean it. Say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And here's the good thing. God's grace is the same towards everybody. It doesn't matter about your race. It doesn't matter about your gender. It doesn't matter about your education. It doesn't matter about your socioeconomic status. The grace that God extends to man is, is, is the exact same grace to every single person. So no person in this world has more grace. No person in this world has more favor. There are some people who realize the favor that they have more than others. But it doesn't mean you have more favor. See, that's why we say favor isn't fair. And, and, and we use it to sometimes to almost believe this exclusionary thing where we say, well, favor ain't fair. Like, God loved me so much. He loved you so much just like he loved everybody else so much. He loved everybody so much the same. 
He loved everybody so much that he extends this grace toward them so that the moment you come into the revelation that God has already prepared things for you, you can receive them as a free gift. Every Sunday, I watched it the last couple of weeks, we've been meeting here. And when we finish with church, some of you have recognized the free gift that this hotel gives. (laughs) Some of y'all recognize the free gift that is given every Sunday. Because as soon as we finish in here, you go and receive your free gift. You go get them little free cookies up there. And ain't nothing wrong with it. But notice how you can receive when you believe it's free. When you believe it's free, you believe, they told, now watch this, they told you the cookies were complimentary. They told you they were yours for the taking. You weren't sitting there arguing with the manager every week, talking about, man, are you serious about these cookies? Man, can I really have these cookies? Man, can I have one cookie or can I have two cookies? Listen, the kids ain't got no problem. They go get all the cookies. So if you don't know, so if you don't know how to receive, you ought to get the kids to lay hands on you because they know how to receive. They like, wait, you said these cookies are free. You said I don't have to pay for them. You said there's no limit. Hey, I want all these cookies. Some of you ought to be, that's what the Bible says, you all need to have childlike faith. You ought to go to God and be like, God, I want everything that's free. Everything that's mine, I want it, I want it right now. I want it, I want it, I want it. Why? Because it belongs to you. Say God's grace extends to everyone. And the moment you and I begin relating God's blessings or the manifestation of his power in our life to anything that we have done, we now void grace. That's why works is so dangerous. It doesn't, somebody asked me, they said, well, Pastor Edwin, if you believe that, why do you still sow seed? I don't sow seed trying to get God to move. I sow seed because the Bible says it's a principle. It says there's always going to be a seed seed time. There's always going to be a harvest time. Well, you can't expect to get harvest if you don't sow So it ain't got nothing to do with works. It got something to do that I believe God's principle so much, I get involved with it. That's why I do what I do, because I believe God so much that I get involved with his system. Understand, he's already made all things available to me. I I can't, listen, you can't give a big enough seed to get God to do something. But what happens, though, is it does allow you, because, take your neighbor, say, money Money. is not important to God. God. Unless Unless it's important to you. See, if you had great value in white rocks and you loved white rocks and you go to work for white rocks and you would save white rocks and you would invest in white rocks and you would be mad if somebody took white rocks from you, then God would be invested in those white rocks. Because the Bible says wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be what? Also. So, so God is not interested in money or, right, or white rocks unless your heart's attached to it. So sometimes God asks you to give something that belongs to you so that you can know where your heart is attached to. Because the truth is you can say you trust God, but if God asks you to give up what you trust in, your money or your white rocks, which one are you going to decide? Now, right now, today, if, if everybody had white, white rocks, we wouldn't care. We'd give everybody our white rocks if you need them. But ask me for my money. 
Because the truth of the matter is we have trust in money. Come on, don't, don't say you don't. We, tell your neighbor, say neighbor. neighbor. Let's, be Let's be honest. We have, we have trust, trust in our money. And God doesn't even care that you have trust in the money. What he cares is that you trust in the money more than him. God said in his word, money answereth all. He said in his word, it is I to give you power to get. So God ain't got no issue with you having money. The issue is with money having you. He said, people say this all the time. Well, the love of money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. Not at all. It don't say the love. It didn't say, say the love of money. It says having the wrong relationship where money is concerned is the root of all evil. Because the reality of it is, if you love money more than God, you'll do whatever is necessary to keep money, even if it means losing God. So he says, you cannot allow money to have you. And so when we start talking about grace, we got to make sure that the things that we're doing, should I be praying? Yes, you should be praying. Should I be fasting? Yes, you should fast. Should I be sowing seed? Yes, I should be sowing seed. But I cannot mix those two in thinking that somehow if I do those things enough, that's going to get God to move. And I think that is the delineation we have to make in the word so that people don't become confused. People don't leave here and be like, well, pastor, I ain't got to pray. Well, Pastor said, we ain't got to fast. Pastor said, I ain't never got to give again. Pastor said, I can cuss you out because I'm already righteous God in Christ Jesus. Listen, that is not what I'm saying. That is not the point of this message. It's not the point of the gospel message. The whole point of the message is to say this, that I love God. God loves me. Everything I need, God's already done and is available to me. Therefore, whatever he asks me to do, I do it with joy because it's already done. You remember last week we were talking about man being a three-part three being, and we were saying the man has a spirit. Uh, man, man is a spirit. Man has a soul, and he's a body. I was reading this week, and there's a scripture that I came across that gave me new revelation. Remember the Bible says that you and I are already seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus? What, I don't know if it's just me or maybe you too, but whenever I used to read that, my mind always said, I'm going to be. Now, I read what it said, but in my mind it was like, yes, I'm going to be seated right with Jesus. But then I got to thinking about, wait a minute, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not tomorrow, right now. Wait a minute, the Bible says, as Jesus is in this world, so I'm, so literally, there's a third of me that's sitting with Jesus in heaven right now. And, I, and when I got the revelation, the Lord, I heard the Lord say to me, which is why you can access heaven at your will. He said, it's the reason that you can access heaven at your will. He said, as a tripartite being, I give you dominion in heaven with Jesus, but also on the earth. And if you find on the earth, you don't have what you need. He said, just reach into heaven and pull it back into your reality. Okay, say la, say la. And so I got to think, I said, wait a minute, you're telling me that I have the ability right now that everything you've made available for me is in heaven and I have the ability to pull it into the earth realm. I said, well, if I have the ability to do that, why don't I have it? He said, because you don't believe. Because you don't take God at his word. You don't take him seriously enough. And I had to think for a moment, do I really believe God like that? And it's okay to question yourself because here's the reality. And God said it like this. God said, if you needed a new eyeball, would you go to the doctor or would you get it from heaven? He said, if you needed a new leg, 
If your leg got cut off and you needed a new one, because I got them in heaven, he said, would you get a prosthetic or would you get one from heaven? He said, which one do you believe in? And the truth of the matter is, is that if I'm honest with myself, my first inclination would be to get a prosthetic because it almost sounds crazy that I can go to heaven and get a real leg. And God said, good, now we can work because you're being honest. When you're not honest, I can't work with you because you think you know when you don't know. You think you can see when you can't see. He said, but the truth of the matter, the only limit you live by is what's between your ears. He said, because there's a third part of you already that is seated in heavenly places that has access to everything in heaven. Everything in heaven. And just as quiet as y'all are right now is how quiet I was. Because the truth of the matter is, if we say we believe God, if we say we trust God, we say he's already done everything. Do you believe he's already done everything? Then that means there is no limit to what you have here in the earth because you can access it through heaven. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, we got some growing to do. All right, we're going to move on. <laughs> how, do, how, do, how do we know it's not about works? Because remember we talked about the jailer? And the Bible says that Paul and Silas was in jail, and at midnight they were singing songs, and the Bible says that an earthquake came, and when the earthquake came, it rattled the jail cells, and the jailer was like, oh my God, they're going to leave. If they leave, I'm going to get killed. He said, I'm about to kill myself. And they said, no, 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 don't do that. Don't kill yourself. We all still here. And what, is his, what was his response? He says, what must I do to be what? Saved. And what did Paul and Silas tell him? Believe. They didn't give him a whole laundry list of things. So if I want to be delivered from whatever is afflicting me, what do I have to do? But I have to believe to such a degree that I don't doubt what I'm believing. Because James said that a double-minded man is unstable in He says, and let not that man think he's going to receive anything from the Lord. So if I say, Lord, I believe, but then I don't act like I believe, I'm double-minded. Go to Mark chapter 9. I want to read something to you in Mark chapter 9. And I want to read it out of the message translation. So you read out of whatever translation you have. But I want you to see something here. Mark chapter 9. Say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not uh, sinful to tell the Lord that you believe but you have some unbelief because he already know. <laughs> so so you, you're not like pulling a fast one on him where you're like, oh my God, I didn't know. No, he already understands. So, so when you're bold enough to say, Lord, listen, Lord, I, I believe, but I need you to help my unbelief. When you are that open and honest with God, he always comes through. In Mark chapter 9, I want to look at verse 17. I'm going to read from the message translation because I believe this is one of the best translations of this particular story. So in this particular story, we have this father who has a son. And in your Bible, it may be called the, the story of the demoniac kid or, or something like that, or demoniac son. But, but his son, what we know now through, through science, had seizures. But we also know, when they call it a demon, that it's a demonic spirit as well. And so he's having this conversation. Notice what he says in verse 17. It says, a man out of the crowd answered, and he said, teacher, he's talking to Jesus, he says, I brought my mute son who was made speechless by a demon to you. He says, whenever the demon seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, 
he grinds his teeth and he goes stiff as a board. He says, I told your disciples, hoping that they could deliver him, but they could not. Say the disciples could not deliver. In verse 19, it says, Jesus said, oh, what a generation. He says, you have no sense of God. Now, he's talking to his disciples. He says, how many times do I have to go over these things with you? How much longer do I have to put up with this? He says, bring the boy to me. It says, they brought him, and when the demon saw Jesus, don't miss this, it threw the boy into a seizure causing him to, 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 to throw himself on the ground and to foam at the mouth. Now, notice this. Look at me right now. Jesus appears to this demon, and the first thing the demon does is to do something in the natural so that Jesus could see it. Because the demon understands that man, because Jesus was God, but he was clothed as man, man likes to look at things with his five senses. So what he did was, is he said, wait a minute, if I can magnify this erroneous behavior, if I can act a big enough fool, maybe Jesus won't believe I can be delivered. And what happens in your life is that when you ask God to come into your life, sometimes your circumstances try to rise up and act a fool in your face because it's trying to get you to back off of what God has said. But notice, when you read this, Jesus wasn't even phased. Because in verse 20, what he does is he turns from the demon who's got the boy rolling on the ground, grinding his teeth, foaming at the mouth. Jesus turns and he's talking to the Lord's father. He says, how long has this been going on? You got some problems in your life that God is asking you, how long? Has this been going on? How long you been dealing with this sickness? How long you been in lack? How long has depression had you? How long have you thought nobody, has loneliness been all over your life? How long have you been dealing with this? You focused on the problem. Jesus is trying to get you to understand how long it's been there. He, he's trying to get you to look at him, not the problem. So Jesus asked, because understand, if you have a child, I wish you could see the picture. If you got a child and your child is on the ground, throwing himself on the ground, foaming at the, foaming at the mouth, grinding his teeth down, it is difficult for you not to want to assist them. But Jesus says, don't look at him, look at me. Because if you look at him, you're only looking at some symptoms. He says, I am the solution. The problem is we spend so much, try, so much time trying to treat the, the, the symptoms of a thing. God says, I need you to look at me so we can deal with the solution. And then if you keep reading the story, look at what he says. He says, he asked the boy's father, he says, how long has this been going on? The boy says, ever since he was a little boy. There are some things in your life that seem like they've been plaguing you forever. But God was not, God was not moved by how long it had been in their life. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor. Say, it does not matter how long that problem has been around. Say, today, it goes. I wish I had three folk who gave God some praise. Today, that problem goes. 
I've been dealing with this mess since 1986. I'm done dealing with it. I've been dealing with this since I came to college. I'm done dealing with it. I've been, de I've been dealing with this ever since two years after my marriage. I'm done dealing with it. Now watch this. It says, he, Jesus said to him, how long has this been going on? He says, ever since he was a little boy. He says, and many times it pitches him into the fire or the river to try to kill him. Sometimes your problem gets so big you just want to die. Sometimes you just think if this thing don't go away from me, I don't know how I'm going to make it. If this thing keeps happening to me, I just, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it seems like every time I get in a good position, this problem comes back and it throws me back in the river. It throws me back in the fire. Why did God ask him that? I believe that God is getting him to rehearse how big this problem is so he can begin to see how awesome God is when he delivers him from it. He then says to him, he says, I love this. That's why I like the message translation on this particular script. He says in verse, in verse 22, he says, if you can do anything, do it. He says, if you can do it. Now, now notice, because he, he's exacerbated. He's, he's tired. He, he's worn out. He's had this little boy he's had to watch 24-7 because every now and then when, when, it's, when, when you least expect it, this demon would rise up in this boy and try to get him to kill himself, get him to hurt himself. I'm sure his teeth was all ground down. I'm sure that the, the people in the neighborhood talked about the little boy. Because you know how church folk do. He say he believed God. He said he, he, he believed laying on hands. Won't lay hands on his son then. So there's this sense of embarrassment there. There's this sense of shame there. And so he's standing before God. He believes that God can do something. Because you got to understand, Jesus, he's seeing Jesus in the flesh. So Jesus didn't have this glow about him. Like we make him on TV. He didn't have a halo. He wasn't floating on air. He was a man. Whose feet got dirty just like everybody else when he had to walk somewhere. And so he's looking at him, and he says to him, he says, look, I brought him to your disciples. I understood that your disciples had the same power that you had, but when I brought them to them, they couldn't do nothing. They, they couldn't deliver. They couldn't do nothing. In fact, the, the, the thing got so mad at them, it threw my son into the fire. So I'm asking you as a last resort, he says, if there is anything you can do, he says, have a heart and help me out. If it's anything you can do, have a heart. Help a dad out. Show me some love. Deliver myself. He's been through enough. In one word, call Jesus' attention. The Bible says no sooner, in verse 24, were the words out of his mouth. Well, verse 23, Jesus said, if. Because that was the thing that called Jesus. Notice, the boy's still on the ground. He's still rolling around. They're having this conversation. He's still on the ground. See, you can't read the story and leave it. He's still on the ground. He's still foaming at the mouth. He's still grinding down his teeth. He's still rolling around. Folks still looking, still talking about it. Jesus says, how long have you been doing this? He said, man, I told you forever. Now, if there's anything you can do, can you do it right now? Have a heart. Folks is looking. Have a heart, Jesus. Help a brother out. He said, now, if you can do anything, and Jesus said, whoa, if. If. He says, there is no ifs among believers. I wish, 
I wish you could see it. He said, there is no ifs among believers. He says, what do you mean if? There are no ifs among believers. He says, with believers, anything can happen. Anything can happen. And it says, no sooner were the words out of the man's mouth, he cried out to Jesus. He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. In other words, he says, Lord, I'm serious. He says, I really do believe you, but he's still on the ground. And sometimes you're believing God, but your problems are still rolling around on the ground. Sometimes you're believing God, but the bills keep coming in faster than the money's coming in. But Lord, he says, I believe. He says, but I need you to help my unbelief. He says, and, and watch what he says next. He says, seeing that the crowd was forming. Told y'all there was some folk around there. It's, all, it's, all, it's gonna always be folk around when you're going through. But sometimes they're there so they can see the glory that God does on your life. So don't get distracted by the folk who are around when God told you he gonna do something. Just trust he gonna do it. The Bible says you can never trust God and end up ashamed. It says, seeing that the crowd was forming fast, Jesus gave the vile spirit its marching orders. He said, you dumb and deaf spirit. He says, I command you out of him and stay out. Now watch this. Screaming and with much thrashing about, it left. Did you hear what I said? Screaming with much thrashing about, comma, it left. So sometimes you expel stuff out of your life and it may not seem like it's gone, but you gotta trust that if God said go, it's gone. Sometimes the problem may thrash for a little bit. Sometimes it may foam for a little bit. Sometimes it may grind for a little bit. But you gotta learn to believe that when God says something, it's a done deal. I got any folk who believe God in this place this morning. He says, the boy was pale as a corpse. So the people started saying, oh, he did. Sometimes you spend so much time talking to your friends and your neighbors about your problems that you get a revelation that God has delivered you and so you stop talking about it. And the folks, don't, they, don't, they don't know you've been delivered. They think you dead. They say, oh, she must have gave up on that dream. I don't hear them talking about it no more. They must, they must not believe God going to do it. But notice the Bible says that the folk thought he was dead. But Jesus went over and it says he extended his hand. He picked the boy up out of the ground and everybody rejoiced because he was alive. Tell your neighbor, say neighbor. neighbor. Say there are some things in your life that even you thought were dead. Say but you need to know as of right now they're alive. I wish I had some folk to give God some praise this morning. Because you got to learn to praise God no matter what it looks like. You cannot be a five cents Christian. You cannot be a person who only operates by what you can see, hear, taste, smell, and everything else. I forgot the fifth one. What you see, what you hear, what you feel, what you taste, and what you smell. You can't be a person who goes by your senses. Thank you. You can't be a person who goes by your senses. Because if you go by your senses, the devil can just cause your problems to thrash in front of your face. 
It's what the Bible says. We people are faith. We walk, we don't walk by sight. We walk by we don't walk by we walk by what is faith? Whatever God said. Faith is our belief in what God has said. And so Jesus delivered the boy. You know the rest of the story? The people were happy and excited, and the father was happy. But I noticed, but noticing that thing, what he said though, he was with God. And when you get desperate, you'll quit trying to play like you know everything. When you get desperate for God, you'll tell God, God, I don't understand that. You'll say, God, I believe, but I need you to help my unbelief. See, all God needs you to do is acknowledge that he's bigger than the problem. And when you acknowledge that you're bigger than the problem, God can deliver you. Amen? Amen. Now, look, let's take a look at this. The, the word reveals that our sins are already forgiven. Say, I am, I am. Already, already forgiven. forgiven. Do you notice in that story where Jesus didn't ask the father and he didn't ask the son? He ain't asking nothing about sin. He didn't ask him nothing about what his mama do, what his daddy do. He didn't ask him, did he drink something wrong? He did, Jesus didn't ask him nothing about all that because none of that matters. When, tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, when grace shows up, nothing else matters. Yeah, whether you did it right, whether you did it wrong, none of that stuff matters. It doesn't matter when grace is there. He never asked him about what had happened in the past. He wasn't concerned about the past. What he was concerned about was that there was a demon doing something contrary to the word. He said, you got to go. Acts 16, 30 and 31 says this. It says that God is the propitiation. And, and, and we, that's a big word, but what it means is atonement. It says that God is the atonement of our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the entire world. 1 John 2 and 2 says, He himself, Christ, is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the world. Understand, when Jesus died on the cross, you and I was, 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 was in a generation. Even though we weren't born yet, we became in this generation of where literally sin doesn't affect us. And I say that week after week after week, and every time I say it, I can hear and feel the religious spirit that says, yes, sin is bad. I didn't say sin wasn't bad. I said sin won't affect you where grace is concerned. Will it affect you in the natural? You better believe it will. Go out there and drive 85 and a 50. You get a ticket, they're going to make you pay that ticket. Charge you with reckless driving and everything. You still the great, you still the righteousness of God. You just the righteousness of God with a ticket. But you steal the righteousness of God. So you can't get this idea that your righteousness excuses you to do wrong behavior. In fact, your righteousness gives you this, this level of doing things on a higher level. If you're the righteousness of God, you ought to have integrity where, where, where driving is concerned. If you're the righteousness of God, you ought to have integrity about getting to work on time. If you're the righteousness of God, you ought to have integrity about how you treat your wife. If you're the righteousness of God, you ought to have integrity about how you treat your husband. Come on, y'all the righteousness of God, you ought to have integrity how you treat your kids. You're the righteousness of God, you ought to put that buggy back up and not leave it in the middle of the parking lot. What we must learn to do is to believe the gospel message. The gospel message is that Jesus has already come Jesus has already died. Jesus has already forgiven us of all of our sins, and we already have everything we need to live. That's the gospel message. 
That's the nearly too good to be true news. That Jesus came and did all of this stuff and we get to access it just by believing. The only sin, we've said this before, and I'm going to say it again, I'm going to say it every time I talk about this, the only sin that's going to send a man to hell is not believing in Jesus. That is the only sin. It's the only sin that the Holy Spirit convicts us of. Everything else is your conscience that tells you that you shouldn't be doing something because you knew in advance you shouldn't have done it. Think about this. Have you ever, have you ever done something, didn't know it was wrong, later found out it was wrong, and then felt bad when you found out. Yes, because you're, so, so watch this. If it was wrong when you did it, but you didn't know it was wrong, the Holy Spirit would have convicted you then. Come on now. But it didn't convict you when you didn't know it was wrong. For instance, let's take a little kid, okay? And let's say you're driving the car with a little kid. And maybe little kids don't know you should litter because you hadn't taught them that. Maybe they hadn't saw the after school special to say you shouldn't litter because we want to keep planet Earth nice and pretty. Maybe they didn't know that. So you're driving down the, down the street, and the kid take a, a, a drink they have, a juice box, and toss it out the window. Okay? Now, if they toss it out the window, the kid don't go, oh, my God, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> In fact, they're probably fascinated by how it flew out the window. But now, if you say to your child, you know, you shouldn't litter. If you litter, then this can happen to you. This is what happens to the earth. Imagine if everybody on this road all did that at the same time, how much trash it would be, how ugly it would be. Well, then you, now you've given them revelation. Now the next time they do it, even if they still just do it because they like being bad, they're going to feel bad about it. Why? Because they've been illuminated to something that says it's not right. So the Holy Spirit doesn't come and convict you of stuff that you don't know is not right. But the Holy Spirit's job is to convict you that you need Jesus. Your conscience convicts you of the rest of that stuff. The devil makes sure you know. Because the Bible calls him an accuser of the brethren. So he'll be like, I bet you didn't know. You shouldn't have done so and so. Now how are you going to talk to God? Because his whole point is to want us to be, his whole job is to want us to repeal or to repel from God. Take your neighbor and say, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, a is a teacher. His job, understand this, is to lead and guide you. That's why we call him the paraclete. His job is to teach and to lead and to guide, not to convict and make you feel bad and afraid of God. John 16, 8, 9 says this. It says, when he, the Holy Spirit, is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me. He says, here's the Holy Spirit's job. You can mark it down, John 16, 8 and 9. He says the Holy Spirit's job is to reprove the whole world so that they know that they don't have a relationship with me. That's the Holy Spirit's job. The rest of the time, the Holy Spirit is not spending time talking to us about all our wrongdoing. He's spending time trying to lead us to right doing. And that's a very important thing, because if you don't understand that, you won't seek to spend time with the Holy Spirit. Because nobody wants to spend time with someone who's always chastising them. But that is not the role of the Holy Spirit. God is no respecter of persons, according to Romans chapter 2, verse 11. It says, for God does not show favoritism, in the New Living Translation. God does not show favoritism. So if God forgave Adam of his sin when he actually did sin, then he's got to also forgive us since we were just born into the solitude of Adam. Say, I am forgiven of all of my sins. 
God, by his grace, has already done everything we need. He anticipated every need we could ever have, and he already met all of our needs. Say, all of my needs are already met. When people hear this truth and believe, it is easy to teach faith. When people hear these truths, it is easy to teach faith. So this morning, for the next few minutes, I want to talk about you to you about the reality of your faith. Say, my faith, my faith is, real. is real. Now, many people think faith is acting like something is so when it really isn't so. And if we do that long enough, then we will become whatever we're believing it to be. But that's not faith at all. You cannot break your arm and then say, my arm isn't broke, and that make your arm not broke. Your arm is broke. The Bible says we call those things that be not as though they... So if I have a broken arm, I may not say my arm is broke. I can say, by Jesus' stripes, I'm healed. That's a true statement. But to say, no, nah, man, my arm ain't broke, and you got a cast on, you look like a fool. I might not have money in the bank. I can say all of my needs are met. Jesus Christ is my El Shaddai. He is my provider. Everything I need, I have. That's the truth. But you can't have a zero balance talking about, I can write this check, I'm good. Not only is it not faith, it is illegal. And the hot check people will come get you. And if you think the IRS is relentless, you ought to see the hot check people. Because they get paid off of how much they get from you. So we got to understand this thing called faith and what faith really is. Hebrews 11 and 1 says this. Now faith what? Is. Say now faith, now faith is. is. It says what is faith? It is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of what? Things not seen. It is the evidence of things not seen. The, the uh, amplified version, I believe, says it is the title deed. Now, if you own a house or if you're buying a house, right now people say, oh, I own my house. Most people really mean the bank owned my house. Let's just be clear. It sounds good, and I'm with you. But the truth of the matter is, if you don't have the title deed, you don't have your house. How do I know? Don't pay your mortgage for a couple months and see who come get your house. They will have legal authority to come get what's theirs. So the, so the reality of it is, is that until you have a title deed of a thing, it doesn't belong to you. But the Bible says that our faith is our title deed to the things God has promised. Okay, let me slow down. Because you should have shouted right there. You didn't shout. So let me go back. The title deed means it's yours. The title deed means it can't be forfeited. The title deed means can't nobody come get it. The title deed means it's yours for as long as you want it. The title deed means it's yours to sell if you want it. The, the Bible says faith is your title deed to the things Christ has for you. Oh, okay, all right, all right. Understand, 
When you have the title deed to what Christ says is yours, can't nobody come get it, including the devil. So when God says to you, healing is yours, you don't have to wonder whether you can get healed or not. You have a title deed that says healing belongs to you. When God says this job is for you, you don't have to freak out when they got 20 people interviewing for the same job because the Bible says that this title deed is your faith for that job. So just like someone couldn't legally come and get the title deed of your house and sell it to somebody else, the devil can't come get your stuff from God and take it away from you. Say, my faith is real. It says it is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. In a courtroom, when they want to present something as fact, they present it as what? Evidence. They say, here is the ballistics report. Here is the DNA report. Here is the toxicology report. All of those things hold grand weight. You know, my, my, little, my little thing I like, I, I watch Maury. I like Maury. On Maury, Maury always says to them, he says, the DNA results show with 99.998% that you are the father. It don't matter how they say, no, I ain't your daddy, ain't, that wasn't me. Or even in the reverse situation, where she say, I, and this is always the death sentence, a thousand percent, a thousand percent, he the daddy. As soon as you see that, you know he ain't the daddy. Every time. And they'd be like, I, it was only one person. It was only one person ever. The DNA results say that 99.998%, he is not the father. It don't matter how you cry. It don't matter how they run off that stage. None of that matters. What matters is what the DNA result says. What does your title deed say belongs to you? Because just as real as those DNA results are, your faith is just as real to receive the things God has for you. Yeah. Say, my faith, my faith is, real. is real. Faith is substance. This is saying that faith is real. It is the evidence of things not seen. Notice, it did not say things that don't exist. Your faith is not the substance of things that don't exist. So you can't use your faith to get something God doesn't have for you. I don't care how fine he is. I don't care how good she look. If they married to somebody else, you can't use your faith to get them. Because you can't use your faith to get something that doesn't exist. And if they married to somebody else, they don't exist to you. If God told you he wanted you to be X, and you say, oh, I don't want to be X, I want to be Z, you don't have the right to use your faith to go get Z because Z doesn't exist for you. So the problem is we got all these people trying to use their faith to go access something, not that's not real, it's not real for you. Because it may be possible for somebody else to get a word from the Lord that they're supposed to live in this particular city. And you might like this particular city, but God said he don't want you there. And so you can't then use your faith to try to get somewhere that God didn't tell you to be. Tell your neighbor, say, you cannot, you 
use your faith to access something that doesn't exist for you. Oh, it's important to understand that. You cannot use your faith to access something that doesn't exist for you. There have been times in our lives that Pastor Sean and I have, have wanted to live in two particular places. We have wanted to live in Atlanta, and we have wanted to live in San Diego. We have tried multiple times to get to both of those places. In fact, we've had to, we, we, we even asked God to sit down for a table meeting so we could convince God that he was wrong about where we should be. Now you may laugh, but how many times have you tried to convince God? That what, that what he's saying to you is not really right because he didn't really understand you. He just made you. He just created you. He can just number the hairs on your head. But he don't understand you. So it doesn't matter how much you love God. It doesn't matter how much faith you say you have. You cannot use what you call faith to, to, to access what God says doesn't belong to you. Now, you got free will, so you can go. You can go and do whatever you want to do. But if you want to be in God's will, you got to be where God told you to be. And watch this, the worst thing you can do is to be where God told you to be and be uncontent while you're there. Because not only do you miss out on being where you think you want to be, you miss out on being where you are because you can't receive all the blessings God has for you because you're so discontent. Here's what Paul said. He said, I have learned to whether I abound or whether I abase, I have learned to be content in the Lord. So if I'm going to be happy with God, I'm going to be happy with God wherever he told me to be. Say, my faith gives me access to the unseen, but not to the non-existent. I need you to hear me when I say that. Your, your faith gives you access to the unseen realm, but it does not give you access to the non-existent. Even in the natural world, we've come to realize that there are things that do exist, but we can't see them. We can't see television waves right now. We can't see radio waves right now. You can't see microwaves right now. But if we were to take a television and plug it in, it would produce for us on the screen whatever that broadcasting station was playing, even though we can't see or feel the television waves right now. They don't just show up when we plug the TV in. You can't see it, but it's real. That's how your faith is. You might not be able to see it. That don't mean it ain't real. Tell your neighbor, say neighbor. Say my faith is as real as you, as you are. Go ahead, just touch your neighbor, just touch him real gently, just touch him real so you can see. Your faith is that tangible. I have evidence that she is here. My faith is evidence that what God has said is real. My faith allows me to touch God. My faith allows me to supersede time and to go into realities and bring back things into my right now. My faith is real. Say, my faith is real. In fact, there are television signals right now in this room. In fact, you're being bombarded with all kinds of signals right now, all kinds of waves. Everything is hitting you, bouncing you, going through you. That, here's how you know that you can believe in what you can't see. 
If someone told you that in that room over there, it was full of high toxic radiation, but you can't see it, but we want you to go over there and stand for 10 minutes. Ain't nobody going over there. You ain't got to have no degree in physics or chemistry. All you know is toxic. That's all you heard, toxic. In fact, we could shut this place down right now if they came in here with, a, with one of those meters that went because now all y'all just go out of here. You can't see it, but you know it's real. Just because you can't see something doesn't mean it doesn't have real effects. I might not be able to see my faith, but it has real effects. My faith is working. A television set can make unseen signals visible. When we see the images, it's not when they become real. Those images have been real. They were already there. A television set doesn't generate images. The set just receives the signal and converts them into sights and sounds that we can perceive. See, your faith will produce for you the image of what God has said. You can't see God's word, but your faith can produce a picture. You can't see God's word, but your faith will produce a picture for you. You can be sick in your bed, and God said, by my stripes, you are healed. You'll begin to see yourself healed, rejuvenated, up, walking around and feeling good. Because faith is just like that TV. It produces images of what can't be seen. You want to live in your realities? You better start seeing it. You better start seeing it. You will never live in the house of your dreams until you dream it. You will never have the job of your dreams until you dream it. You will never have enough money that you believe you're supposed to have until you can see it. Well, how are you going to see it if it ain't already there? Your faith. The reality of your faith. And that's why we got to have grace and faith. Because my faith says, I don't have faith in this dream because it's pie in the sky. I have faith because of God's because of his grace. He's, God told me this was mine. Now I believe what he said. When I begin to believe what he said, now I get manifestation. Now I get to see it not just in the spiritual realm, because it's cool to have money in the spirit, but the light company don't take that. You, you can't go to the grocery store and, and, and swipe your, your, your spiritual debit card. Walmart is cool with you being spiritual, but when you get their groceries, they want their physical, manifested money. So it's great to be able to be rich in the spirit, but God said you weren't just supposed to be rich in the spirit and poor in the world. Because you live where? In the world. He says, I gave you my spirit and made my spirit rich so it would make your soul rich. So that when your soul and your spirit got rich, your body couldn't help but to be rich. He says, your faith is real. Here's the thing. Every person in this room has watched the television when suddenly the picture went blank. Sometimes it's during the most inopportune time. I mean, they're getting ready to shoot the last shot. It's six seconds left. And direct TV or U-verse or something, something happens to the television. I guarantee you, I ain't never seen you, but this is what you did. You look around, like, like, did somebody turn it off? And then what you do? You grab the remote control. Now, now, now follow me. You grabbing the remote control. You, you messing with the input. You start yelling at your kids. They weren't even upstairs. Y'all do something to the internet. 
You're trying to figure out, did somebody touch something? Did somebody mess with something? Did they do something? I'm trying to watch this, and the signal ain't playing. You jump up, you back there messing with the little coaxial cable. You, you shaking the box. If you're old school, you're blowing on it. Because <laughs> when you was old school, and your Nintendo game didn't work, what did you do? Man, you blowing that thing. It worked every time. I don't know what it was about blowing in it, but it worked. So you start blowing on stuff, you doing everything you can. You, you ticking a menu button on your TV. Now watch this. You checking all that stuff. You checking everything to make sure it's working. But you know what ain't none of us ever did? Pick up the phone and call the broadcasting company. You checking everything else, but you had to have a signal. We assume, watch this, that the broadcasting company is always broadcasting. So because we have so much trust in ABC and NBC and CBS and ESPN, HGTV, DIY, Animal Kingdom, Shark Week, we have so much faith in the broadcasting company, we never ever call them and say, hey, what y'all doing? We check everything else. But the moment something don't go right in our life, we don't check everything else. We don't check to see whether our remote is broke. We don't check to see whether we, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't, the first thing we want to talk to is God. God, why you didn't hear me? God, why you didn't do this? God said, I'm the broadcasting company. I broadcast 24-7. I'm always broadcasting. If something ain't working, it ain't because of me. Check your remote. How are you believing? How are you trusting? Check your coaxial cable. Maybe you got some doubt and unbelief in your life. Why you assume I ain't broadcasting? You assume NBC's always broadcasting but you don't assume I'm always broadcasting. He said, I am the Lord God and I change not. I broadcast 24, 7, 365. My faith says I can grab hold to God anytime. It don't matter the time of day, it don't matter the hour, it don't matter the season, it don't matter what I'm going through. My faith is real and it can attach to God anytime. Just like I can cut my TV on anytime, I can attach my faith to God anytime. I can grab hope and believe. I, I can use my faith to attach to God's grace, his power, what he's already done. And just like when you turn the television on and you know you done paid your cable bill and you know all, everything is connected the right way, what do you do? You expect to see something on TV. You, if you go home today and you turn on your TV and it don't work, and, and you know you done paid the bill. You know you ain't got one of them old box TVs. You know that all your stuff ought to be working. You got new cables, all that stuff. You will be indignant that the TV didn't work. Why? Because the broadcast station should always be broadcasting. I wish we had as much trust in God as we have on ESPN, on NBC and CBS. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor. Say, my faith is real. Understand, it's never God. It's never God. God's already, if it ain't working, it ain't God. God is a transmitter that never goes out. He is always transmitting. 
And what we must understand is that if we ask God for something and we don't see it manifest instantly, it has nothing to do with God. In fact, I'm going to say this, it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with you. I want to tell you a story real quick about, some of you may know Mac Hammond. You know Mac Hammond. Pastor Mac Hammond. He said it was a woman who came to one of his camp meetings. Now watch this. She had what's called a gorder. It's one of those big old things on your neck that comes from a, a thyroid issue. And, and it was big, like, you know, one of those things that when you saw it, you could not see it. And she came to the camp meeting, and they were praying for people to be healed. And she stood up, and she went up to the front, and she testified and said the Lord healed her. People was praising God, everything. She said the Lord told her while she was sitting there, she wouldn't have no more issues, that the gorder was gone, that, that she, was, she was supposed to have thyroid surgery, she wasn't going to have a surgery, nothing. She left, she came back the next year. She was sitting in a camp meeting, they were doing testimonies. She came up, she testified about how the Lord had delivered her. Now she still had the big gorder. She said, I hadn't had any medication, I hadn't had any sickness, I didn't have the surgery, the Lord completely healed me. And the people in the audience was like, well praise the Lord, oh, amen, all right. <laughs> praise the Lord, sister, that's great. They said she went home and she came back the third year. In the third year, Mac Hammond said she came back and he saw her in the audience and he saw the big thing on her neck. He said, and, and, and he, he kind of knew how it was going to go, so when it got time to testimony service, sure enough, she got up and came to testify. One of the elders told her, he said, now listen, you've been here, this your third year, and, 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 and you keep testifying about how God has healed you, but we can see that big old thing still there, sister. And, and, and Matt Hammond says that he, he was on the stage, and he kind of heard the elder talking to her. So he went over to kind of console the woman, kind of talk to her about, you know, testifying about what the Lord has done and, and, and is still being there. And she said, I tell you what. She said, I came here two years ago, and this is my third year. She said, and the Lord healed me. Took the, everything that was in here, the Lord healed me. I haven't had medication. I haven't taken a surgery. I haven't done anything. She said, but because of the unbelievers in this room. Come on. She said, Lord, I'm asking you to dissolve the gorder so that they would believe. He said that from the time it took her to walk from those steps to the middle of the stage, the entire gorder was gone. Now, the question was, when did God heal her? Right there or three years ago? He healed her three years ago. And just because something don't look like it's changed don't mean God ain't done it. And you got to learn to stop judging what God has done based on what it looked like. If God tells you he has healed you, if God says he's brought you out of debt, if God says he's dealt with the depression, it don't matter what its symptoms look like. God says, I've done it. you got to believe God's done it. He says she testified three years in a row. And on the third year, she got indignant and said, Lord, because of these unbelievers. Do something that convinces them of what you have done, because I already know what you've done for me. So just because God says he's going to do something and everything don't change overnight, don't think God ain't did it. Tell your neighbor, say neighbor. Say when you believe, something supernatural is always happening. I wish I had some folk who believed that this morning. Listen, there's a great illustration of this. There's a great illustration of this in 2 Kings chapter 6. In 2 Kings chapter 6, Elijah, the prophet of God, was revealing the Syrians' battle plan to the king of Israel. 
And if you read the story, you'll find that every time the king of Syria tried to ambush the king of Israel, Elijah would warn the king of Israel, and he would ambush the Syrian army. This happened so many times when you read the story that the king of Syria finally asked his servants to help him reveal who the traitor was. And, and, and he knew that he, he was like, there's no way that the king of Israel can know everything that we're doing. There's no way he can anticipate all of our moves. There has to be somebody telling him what we're doing. And one of the king, and, and when, and, and when the, one of the, the king of Syria, one of the servants came to him and, and, and said to him, he said, it is the prophet of God known as Elijah. It says, the Lord reveals to him what we're going to do, and then he tells the king of Israel in his bedchamber what we're going to do. And so the king of Syria decided that they had to go get Elijah and kill him, because if they didn't, there was no way they were going to defeat Israel. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor. neighbor. Say, sometimes, sometimes. Your, problems your problems are trying to ambush you. To ambush you. But if you listen, God, God will give you a plan. To ambush your problems. Oh, yes, he will. Oh, yes, he will. When those problems think they got you, God, if you will learn to listen, God, to drop a, a, a word of knowledge, a piece of revelation in you, and it'll cause you to trouble your troubles. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15, he says, And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, what are we going to do? And when Elijah's servant saw the Syrian troops, he panicked. He knew exactly why they were there. He was like, oh, they have come to get us. And look how many of them there are. He says, what are we going to do? Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. Faith, faith is real. Is say, your faith, your faith will give you access into the unseen realm. It says they had discovered that Elijah was the one who was telling the king of Syria his battle plans to the king of Israel. They were in big trouble. But if you look at 2 Kings 6 and 16, notice what Elijah said to his servant. It says when he asked him, what are we going to do? He answered and he said, I love this, fear not. How many times have you, when you read your Bible, do you see something tragic happen? And somebody always start by saying what? Fear not. Why? Because if you allow fear to grip you, faith cannot have you.
understand, the Syrian army was determined to get Elijah. They was determined to get Elijah because they said, if we can get Elijah, then we can get the king of Israel. See, there are some things that the devil does against you because he wants to get you so distracted. Because he realizes if he can get you distracted, he can get you. He can't get you while you're focused on God. He can't get you while your eyes are lifted up. But if he can get you to get your eyes on the natural sense off of God and to focus on your problems, he can do whatever he wants to to you. He can do whatever he wants to to you. It's the reason that the waves got so big because Peter's eyes was, the devil was trying to get Peter's eyes off of God. So Gehazi's eyes were fixated in the natural. But in 2 Kings chapter 6, 17, Elijah prayed and he said this. He says, Lord, I pray thee, open the eyes of my servant that he may see. And he, the Lord, opened up Gehazi's eyes and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around them. Now notice something. Did the chariots just show up? At the last minute? No. Those chariots had been with them the whole time. Your deliverance doesn't just show up. It's always with you. The problem is if you focus on the problem, you can't focus on the deliverance. So Gehazi's eyes got open to the reality of the God they served, and he saw that not only the, the, the Syrian army, but he saw the, the army of the Lord all around him. And watch this. If you don't see God in the situation, you end up trying to fight it yourself. But if you read this story, the Bible says that once his eyes were open, it said the Lord blinded the Syrian army. So literally, the Syrian army who came to fight couldn't see. So the army of Israel just walked down there and took them all captive. Not one man died. They took them all captive. They couldn't see. If you were trusting God, what could he take captive in your life? What army keeps showing up in your life at every turn? But because you keep trying to fight it yourself, you keep finding yourself in a losing battle. He says the reality of your faith is, is that when you open your eyes to the spiritual realm, you always see that you outnumber them. You always see that you outnumber them. When you open your eyes, you don't look at your bank account and see that number. You see what all is in heaven. And it changes your reality. And whatever you focus on is what gets magnified in your life. So if you focus on not enough, guess what you end up with? But if you focus on more than enough, guess what you end up with? So when we talk about living in the balance of grace and faith, that's what we're talking about. Not just saying God did it all, I'm now chilling. It says God did it all, now I exercise my belief in what he's done. God's given me a redemption plan. And the redemption plan puts me in position to understand the reality of my faith. And the reality of my faith is that if I believe in God, all things are possible. All things are possible when I believe in God. And so when we begin to talk about trusting God, I don't want you to just think of it in the sense that, yes, I say I believe God. How are your actions lining up? 
not just your physical actions. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Because how many of you know you can say something, but then there's this, this thing on the inside of you? We were talking about it the other day. I remember the first time we ever sat in Creflo's Dollar in, in, in the, dome, the World Dome in Atlanta, Georgia. And he had us confessing. And he said, say I am. We said, I am. And he said, a God. And me and Pastor Sean said, he going to hell. <laughs> we did. We was like, nope. We getting up out of here. And if it wasn't for the fact that we was going to a marriage session that we really needed, We'd have left. Because sometimes you can hear something and it can be true, but your, 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 your lack of revelation is so seated in you that it rejects that truth. Now, I have no, I have no problem saying I am a God. I am. I am made in the image of a God. As he is, so am I in this world. I am just like God. But the first time, the first time he told me to say that, I was like, I ain't going to hell in here messing with Creflo. <laughs> I was good in coaching. I was like, now nah, I know one thing I'm not going to do. I am not going to say I'm no God. <laughs> now, I don't know what the rest of y'all 10,000 people in here doing, but y'all going to hell. <laughs> in fact, we was like, our marriage may be bad, but we ain't going to hell. Because <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. But just because it's new doesn't mean you have to reject it. Sometimes you got to study it more. Sometimes you got to seek it out. Sometimes you got to say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but I don't know what Pastor Strick was talking about, all that stuff about access and riches from heaven. I don't know about that part. Lord, I believe it, though, but help my unbelief. Because before you know it, it becomes your reality. And once it becomes your reality, then you start to live a whole different kind of life. Amen? Come on, give the Lord some praise this morning. I'm done.